accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're continuing our DS9 coverage. We're running through all the episodes of season one, and we just finished up the 18th episode of the first season. It's called Dramatis Personae, at least I think that's how it's pronounced, directed by Cliff Bull, written by Joe Minoski, aired back on May 30th, 1993. In this episode, a telepathic infection sets the crew into two factions fighting against each other with Major Kira leading the mutiny. Just going to be me talking about this one before we get back into the uh, regular rotation of having guests on with a duet in the hands of the prophets to wrap up the season. Uh, I'm just going to finish up with Dramatis Personae, as we did with Forsaken. I'll read a bunch of patron comments, react to them, and give my own thoughts about this episode. So I'm going to take an audio break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to break down Dramatis Personae. I've got them. Who? The Valerians. Their ship was at the Ultima Thule station one week ago. That confirms it. They're definitely running Dolomide. So? So, I've got an armed team ready to board their vessel. Confiscate the material and send them back where they came from. Frankly, I'm half tempted to take them to Bajor and press charges. By whose authority? You're not gonna do anything about this. I'm not. And neither are you. That ship is acting against Bajoran interests. The station is Bajoran property. Commanded by a Federation officer. Commanded by me. Are you challenging that major? All right, so this is kind of a weird... I don't know if weird is the way to describe it. I, I'm unsure of what to think about this episode. I feel like it started off better than it eventually gets to. Um, I guess the first place to start is that it's a clearly a Joe Minoski script. It's written by Joe Minoski, and it has all the hallmarks of a Joe Minoski thing. It's got some sort of um, mental takeover is kind of a hallmark of him. He likes to do things based on communication. Uh, he likes to have sort of weird nonsense things going on in the background cisco building his clock is kind of a prime example of that in this one um it's just kind of a weird creepy touch that doesn't really add anything to anything and it feels like it's you know being pulled from somewhere else it leads you to think that something else is going to happen in this episode and it never really does and i feel like that's kind of a joe minoski thing joe minoski wrote masks he wrote darmok darmok's probably his best script um he's written things like that he wrote for voyager and deep space nine to continue this is his only solo credits on ds9 and um, I think that he is his like gimmick, if you want to call it, or his writing style, maybe not a gimmick, his writing style kind of wears thin after a little while. I think Darmok was a really good script, but this one kind of feels a little bit like masks in that it is something sort of odd is happening, but you don't feel like you're getting the whole picture of what's going on. And almost like the idea is too big for the show that he's able to do. And you feel like you would want to really get into the backstory of these this alien race that has these telepathic orbs or whatever they are. And we don't learn anything about that race. We don't learn anything about where these orbs came from. They're sort of a, they're just a, 
sci-fi MacGuffin that comes along halfway through the movie or halfway through the episode and you learn about them and then that's the explanation for everything that's going on it gives Odo a ability to get a solution to fix the problem he can get rid of these things and it doesn't really you know it, it feels like if this was a novel you'd get a lot more fleshed out idea of what these orbs are and where they came from and what sort of impact that they're having on people um because I think that it's either weakly implied or hinted at that the personalities of the people have something to do here because Kira and Cisco start off the episode by having a little bit of disagreement about this Valerian ship. And I think that the, the orbs are supposed to be playing off of that, although it's never really clear and it ends up feeling just muddied as to why they would have that interaction between Cisco and Kira before they get taken over. Like the, the Valerian thing is supposed to provide the, the impetus for the disagreements that go on later, but they're also possessed later on. So it feels like they're playing out a um, sort of cultural historical thing, much like masks was. It's it's really the same sort of idea as masks where the crew members get taken over and they're forced to take part in this like religious myth in the case of masks or in this like cultural archive of the downfall of a, of a civilization, which apparently handled only about four people be, and then uh, everyone else is forgotten. And I think that it's just kind of a, it doesn't really, it doesn't really connect to the other plot of Kira and Cisco because while that happens, you're not really, Odo at no point thinks that the reason that they're disagreeing is because of this previous disagreement that they've had. Um, so it doesn't really tie in very strongly in my opinion. And I think the episode's good and creepy for the first half. Uh, the Odo seizure scene is probably the, one of the creepiest things that's happened this season. I don't know if it's, uh, intended to be that way, but his seizure scene is very upsetting. Um, the way that he plays it at the end there, the way that his face sort of splits apart. And, you know, I think that the, the vibe and the music is a little bit unsettling. Cisco becoming uh, this sort of like distracted clockmaker. Dax telling the stories is kind of nice. Um, Kira becoming the sort of militant agitator, the mutineer. And the episode itself is never really clear about whether or not these are their personalities combining. And it's like a dark take on the crew. What I think the episode is trying to say is that that is not the case, that they basically have been almost totally taken over by this alien personality. Uh, like the Dax personality switch is never really explained why she becomes uh, sort of a distracted old person in a lot of ways. And it's not, I don't think it ever says that she's becoming a previous host or anything like that, or she's becoming a, you know, the men memories of previous hosts are uh, sort of blending into her and she's living that again. It's not like Curzon has been resurrected or anything. And I think that it's a, it's it, the un, the lack of clarity in what is going on with the crew is kind of a problem, kind of not at the same time, because it is very much a TNG type script. Like it does remind me a lot. Of, it reminds me a lot of power play. It reminds me a lot of masks and it's not outstanding, but I also wasn't super bored by it at the same time like i enjoyed the fact that they give the actors a lot to do in this episode is interesting even though avery brooks seems to lose his mind by the end and he's like shaking his hands in the uh the shuttle bay or the the cargo bay wherever they end up at the very end he's sort of shaking his hands like he's someone uh coming down off of coke or something and he is walking around and being very very different than he was when he was making the clock um 
and I, I, I feel like it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know if Avery Brooks is really as restrained as he could have been. Kira actually plays it pretty well. Dax is, plays it well. I don't really understand the role. Um, one reviewer said that O'Brien just seems to be cranky O'Brien. That's, that's when O'Brien gets taken over. It just becomes his kind of personality is uh, when he's upset or tired or something in this in the show. And that's the, the way that Colmini plays O'Brien. Uh, Bashir is interesting. Uh, just that he's... He is, how would you describe him? He's sort of, he loses his goofiness that he had going for the rest of the season. And he becomes much more of a darker manipulator who is at the same time still naive about what's going on. Um, he has the scene there where he thinks that he and Odo are the only people who haven't been affected. And it's actually only Odo. And Odo is able to trick him fairly easily into believing that. I thought that was a nice turn. It gives the cast something to do. They get to play something. Uh, they have a chance to stretch out a little bit and, you know, I can't really fault it for that. I don't think that it's a particularly good or deep or interesting script. It feels pretty generic by the time that you figure out what's going on, which is about halfway through the episode. It doesn't feel like it's really about anything. It kind of feels like it's a waste of time when it's over, although it's enjoyable while you're watching it. Uh, Remind me of Event Horizon in a lot of ways, actually, too, which is odd. The old uh, the horror movie from the late '90s, uh, the space horror f- horror film. Uh, just because when they're watching the old Klingon vlog, <laughs> they're basically um, uh, that reminded me very much of uh, the Event Horizon's crew manifesto and logs and stuff that they were reading in those ones. Um, yeah, so I think that we'll go through some patron comments. And I'll give my thoughts about what people think and react to these things. Holly McLaughlin writes, Dramatis Personae. I love the acting on this one. It's one of the first great clues that we have a really talented ensemble here. And it gives hope that the series will improve, which of course it does. I agree with that. Um, I think what actually it does is that we've had two Odo episodes in a row. And Odo really shines in this one. Rene is, uh continues to play him very well. And I, I, it's the... Odo has a different role from all the other security chiefs in all the other series. He's he's the most unique security chief in that he is cop-like or detective-like. He he's not just the guy who comes in and shoots the enemy at the end. Like he he rarely does that. He's not really the physical force that a lot of the other shows seem to think the security chief would be. He's much more of an intellectual um or an intellect uh security chief in this one i think that's a nice uh change of pace and it's it's sort of startling how similar the other security chiefs are to each other except for odo uh, we'll get more into that as the series goes on uh what do we have here next for do do dramatis personae matthew and russ uh, although we've seen that before in tng and at the time it was broadcast a similar plot in voyager my favorite takeaway from this is the clock Cisco is working on remains in the entire series. Yeah, I think they put it in his office occasionally and you see it uh, hanging out back there. It's interesting. Uh, clocks are kind of interesting. There's a lot of symbolism with clocks. It ultimately doesn't really come down to anything, unfortunately, uh, which is kind of shame and kind of not. The First Order is nothing but Snoke and Mirrors, writes Dramatis Personae is another one that's dumb but lovable. I always love it when Avery Brooks gets to go crazy, and the clock thing fits with the obsessive Cisco projects in episodes like Explorers and Rapture. In the way Bashir can be convinced that everyone else is under the alien influence is fun, showing he's smart but often doesn't apply those smarts to himself. He is not very introspective, uh, which gets used similarly but differently enough in Fascination. Yes, I... Um... 
Oh, another one that's dumb but lovable. I, I, you probably think it's better than I do at this point. Maybe I don't know. It depends on what your definition of lovable would be for these episodes. I don't know if this is one that I really want to ever rewatch or put on in the background and uh, get through it. It's not, it's not good enough in that sense. It is fairly dumb. I mean, I think that the on a plot level, the biggest thing, the thing that I was noticing as I was watching this episode was. It makes a lot more sense on a starship than it does on a space station for this kind of a story. Like the starship, you can kind of see it as being isolated and you could get away with having a few characters lose their minds a little bit. And, you know, just because of the order of the spaceship, spaceship, starship, whatever you want to call it, they have to, the crew has to kind of worry about what's going on you can remember that in a lot of tng episodes like power play and things like that where it's like you're not really sure what's going on the crew doesn't want to um they don't want to mutiny that's kind of far they don't want to question orders there's no reason to question orders that much at this point and i think that the um it's a lot harder to have this story on a space station because every time two of the characters are interacting you know, Nodo's giving Bashir a dirty look or something like that, and the, the dramatic music is playing. He opens the door to sickbay, and a whole bunch of people are walking around in the background. And I think in the episode, they actually say that it's only the people who are in ops when the Klingon boarded that were affected by it. So it's very hard to understand how the rest of the station is ignorant to what's going on, because it's not like the people are being subtle in what's going on. Like, how are they convincing people to mutiny against Cisco. How is Kira managing to get security guards to, to join her side? And, you know, I think we'll have a lot of questions for these people once this is all said and done. So I, I think that that's kind of an odd, it's something that took me out of the episode every time it would happen. There'd always be characters talking to each other and then people would just be walking around in the background. And it's, you don't get the isolation sense of a starship and a, a sort of casting like you did in Star Trek TNG. This is different and it feels a little bit weaker that that is the backdrop to everything that's going on. It doesn't feel believable to me that those kind of changes would last for that long and no one else would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, why is everyone acting so crazy? Why is Kira so angry about Valerian steel or Valerian shipments of whatever they were selling um, to the Bajorans? It It doesn't feel true, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Let's see here. Clever Orbits writes... Where is that? Dramatis Personae. The Quark and Odo moments were awesome. Quark helping Odo despite all their back and forth so far brought tears to my eyes. They really do care about each other, even though they're on opposite sides of the law. Uh, a brilliant sci-fi plot, the way that Odo teases out the mystery of what's going on uh, through playing apolitical with everyone, a wise political decision, even pretending to be on Bashir's side when he realizes there's nothing else to do but play the political intrigue that has taken hold of everyone's brains, then takes both sides to save them all. Super brilliant. I think this might be my favorite of the first season. It reminds me of Voyager's worst-case scenario, but with higher stakes, better execution, and more distinction between the sides. I'm willing to say that this show was a standout as early as the first season. Sure, there were bumps and hiccups, but it was off to the best start of all the classic Trek shows. Discovery, of course, is its own animal, and I think it almost matches DS9 in quality, but that might just be me. Um, well, it's certainly not me about Discovery and its opening quality, although I DS9... I haven't seen Voyager and Enterprise recently enough to know if this is the best... I mean, it's clearly better than TNG... Although I think TOS's first season is better than this. Uh, although TOS doesn't really feel like a first season. TOS, if you don't know, in my opinion, has the is the best season of the original series. Uh, season one is the best season of that show. So I think that that's probably my winner for uh, season one, Trek. But 
Cork and Odo moments are good. They might be doing it a bit too much, although we haven't had too many of them recently. It felt like it was more of a middle-of-the-season thing that they were doing. Um, I think that the Odo plot with Bashir and everything and playing the different sides is fine. I feel like it's a little bit blunt in a lot of places. Like, There's not a lot of subtlety to what's going on, and Odo's plan is all well and good, although it feels... It feels unimaginative and like the, the you can kind of predict everything that's going on there. Like he's playing both sides to get them into the uh, cargo bay and then he's going to do the thing about it. He has a totally techno babble solution to what the uh, the answer will be. So it doesn't really it didn't really grab my attention or make me think that it was super well written or smart or anything like that. So I, I guess I kind of disagree with you, Clever Orbits, about it. Although I don't think it's a necessarily a bad episode. I just, it didn't really knock my socks off uh, if if it didn't even have to do that. It didn't really, it didn't really grab my attention. Joint Mango with a, uh, a very long comment here. So I'll try to read through this one. I love Dramatis Personae. What a mess. It's Big Brother on Star Trek, but with sanctioned violence. Even if you hate this episode, the scene with Quark and Odo's office is gold, Jerry. Is this Ferengi fashion I'm not aware of? Don't look at me that way. I'm perfectly normal. Odo, wait, Odo, Odo, I want satisfaction. That was a, that was a weird line. Shimmerman and Abergenois are a delight to watch together. Colmini's fun as Cisco's toady. Kira comes off as coked up, which is great. I love Kira without her inhibitions. On the other hand, Jedzia's transformation is awful. It could have been improved if she had reacted to her possession by taking on the personality of one of Dax's previous hosts. That's what I was talking about, too. Uh, I'll skip that because it's kind of a spoiler. She doesn't really have much to do except for getting to deactivate the transporter in order to conveniently advance the plot. Yes. Uh, the Dax thing... The Dex thing felt fine at first, and then it just became kind of a weird running joke that you weren't sure why anyone was still trusting her with anything that needed to be done. Um, also, does this episode take place in real time? Cisco and O'Brien clearly never return to their quarters because Jake and Kiko don't notice them acting like paranoid gangsters. They actually clarified that at the start. They say that... Uh, Keiko and uh, had taken all the school kids to the planet, so they're not around to notice the weird shift in their uh, relations. So they do get around that a little bit. It's, it's kind of clumsy, but they they make a point of mentioning why there wouldn't be anyone who um, is super close to people, even though I feel like the people are acting differently enough where everyone should be suspicious of them. Am I supposed to believe that no one else but Quirk overheard Kurt, uh, Kira, and Jedzia plotting a mutiny against the commander of their Federation station in the most politically charged space in the Alpha Quadrant? Yeah, same thing. Uh, in the station's watering hole rife with Starfleet officers. And from a Bajoran perspective, you have the former terrorist planning to strip your emissary of political influence at best and murder him at worst. Even Morn should have been a little concerned. There's got to be safeguards against this type of thing happening, considering the sheer volume of mind-controlling aliens that Starfleet encounters on a weekly basis. It reminds me of power play done poorly. It was a fun 40 minutes. It's just missing a few things to make it bigger than what it is, which is a giant waste of time. Every time I watch the episode, I'm left unsatisfied with the ending. Each of the infected crew members should have been in control of their actions to some capacity and should have been held responsible for what they did. Serious improvements could be made uh, if the aliens are revealing the id of the crew rather than just possessing them. I think that's what would have made it a little bit deeper i think that the it's probably an episode that would have worked better in a later season like if if we'd gotten time to know these characters and the way ds9 is going to sort of build um conflicts or at least backstory between all the characters i feel like it's a story that could have exploited character um relationships in a later season here they don't really have time to do it it's kind of like how naked now and tng aired and you don't really know the characters that well so you don't know if they're 
playing off dark desires or if they're just losing their inhibitions and doing whatever they want to do. It's kind of the same problem here. Uh, regardless, my enjoyment of Dramatis Personae stems from the same branch of behavioral economics that explains why people still eat McDonald's despite Wendy's making an indisputably superior hamburger. I like watching these characters uh, caricatures goof around in spite of the Swiss cheese plot. Easily my favorite of the awful episodes of DS9. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of good points, uh, Joey Mango. I think that's actually... Um, pretty interesting we agree about the parts of like the infected crew should have had something to do the ending struck me as weird because uh, it's an odo episode maybe it's not even the ending it's it's an episode with uh odo in it that is exposing a lot of the show's budget limits with what odo can do uh it's yet again another example of him passing out and remaining in his humanoid form which doesn't make a lot of sense to me i feel once he's knocked out he should just turn into a puddle of goo and at the, the very end, maybe the worst part of the episode is when they decompress the uh, shuttle bay or the cargo bay or whatever, and everyone is just kind of gently holding on to boxes and they aren't getting sucked out into space. Um, Odo in particular, I feel like if it was a movie with a movie budget and that was the ending scene, Odo would turn into something like a rope and wrap around everybody and hold them in. He doesn't do that here. He just stays in his uh, humanoid form and sort of gently hugs a box and it prevents him from being sucked out into space. Um, I felt like that was a scene that was crying out for a shape-shifting thing, but the, the budget they have, he just really can't shape-shift. Uh, they did it earlier. He didn't even shape-shift. They just did the effect on his face when the uh, when the psychic probes made their first appearance. Do 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 Dramatis Personae, Kyle Barrett. A solid, if slightly forgettable episode with a concept that reeks of Jomanowski, the telepathic archives being a spiritual successor to his TNG episode Masks, but this is by far the better episode. I, I'd agree with that. It's a lot of fun to play with the character role instead of the dialogue is snappy, particularly Quark. Brooks makes some odd acting choices, but with a purpose, purposefully theatrical plot, most of them work. And if we have an O'Brien log in every episode, that would be great. He is very good at that. Uh, although, yeah, grumpy O'Brien still strikes me as funny. Um... But yeah, it's a Minoski script, right? I think you're kind of agreeing about that. It's it's a solid, if slightly forgettable. I'm I'm kind of in that realm too, um, and that's about it for the comments. So, let's see. Well, I'll, I'll take a break. I'll play one more audio clip, and I'll come back and I'll give my final thoughts. So, how are you? I take it you've completed your autopsy of the Klingon. Of course. You know, Odo, events have been moving rather rapidly since our last conversation. I'd advise you to choose sides now, or risk finding yourself without any friends at all. The Klingon, Doctor, what did you find? He's still dead, if that's what you mean. I don't have time for jokes. Your findings could determine who controls this station. How? All in good time. First, tell me about the Klingon. All right, so we're done with Dramatis Personae. We're almost done with season one. We've only got a couple episodes left. Um, a solid, if forgettable, I think Kyle said that. Solid, if forgettable, dumb, but lovable, I think is what... Uh, I forget the, the the user's name here. Hold on a second, I'll scroll up. The First Order is nothing but Snoke and Mirrors. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with all of that. Like, I... I didn't mind watching it. It didn't really stick with me. It's not something that I'm particularly impressed with. I don't think it does anything for really this, the foundation of the series. It doesn't really advance anything. Nothing here is really going to stick around or continue forward. It doesn't give me that much insight into the characters because I'm unsure of what the orbs are doing. It's the first appearance of Klingons. Maybe that's kind of a special thing, and they're only around for a couple seconds. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to... 
I think I'm going to give it a two. It's either a weak three or a strong two. And I think it's just, it's just slightly problematic enough where I think it's a two and you could improve it and actually make it a lot better. Uh, so I'll give it a two out of five and I will, uh, pretty much be done with it at that point. So Guys, thank you very much for listening. Apologies, just me again. Uh, I apologize about that. But I, I feel like after this, we've got some uh, in the can. And so they're going to be coming out with guests. Uh, we've got Duet coming up on Thursday. And then we've got In the Hands of the Prophets. Uh, and Clay is on both of those. And Zach Hanlon from the AV Club is joining us for Duet. And then after that, we'll start season two and things will start getting uh, picking up a little bit. And I will actually have a backlog going forward. So we should be all set with guests on each of these episodes. But anyway... Uh, social media, click all the links in the video description, blah, 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 Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. You go there, you can support the show. A couple of dollars a month, you get extra stuff, you get extra podcasts. Check out Real Ripe and Real Rotten, all that stuff. It's our film podcast. We're looking at the best and the worst films of a director or actor's career and talking about them. And that's about it. And we have uh, the patrons should know that I am, for this uh, December's patron podcast i'm doing an ask me anything podcast so if you guys are patrons you can ask questions on the post that i put on the patreon page you can um leave questions and i will answer them ask me anything ask me about star trek ask me about whatever else is going on uh the process how everything works all that stuff what clay's favorite uh, kind of sushi is all that stuff anyway that's about it Thank you guys very much for listening. We'll be back in a couple days with duets, and I think everyone's looking forward to it. We had a really good discussion about it. So duet in a couple days. See you then.